Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breast Cancer Conversations. I am always so happy you are tuning in each week to listening to the amazing and powerful stories and education and content that we bring to you here on Breast Cancer Conversations. If you haven't visited our events page on survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash events, I would encourage you to do so. Just a couple quick shout outs. Every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, we host our Thursday Night Thrivers Meetup. This is a no agenda meetups, aka support group. You are always invited. Then once a month, we have our Breast Cancer Book Club, where we read books that have absolutely nothing to do with cancer. It is really just a great group of women, and we get together and we read, laugh, share. Finally, this summer, I would encourage you to sign up and join our Coast to Coast fundraiser. This fundraiser is critical to the production of our podcast and all of our support services, education, and resources that we provide to you each and every week. So to find out more, please visit survivingbreastcancer.org forward slash coast to coast. I will link to all of this in the show notes below as always, but just had to give out a couple quick plugs because I love you guys and appreciate your support in writing reviews, commenting, sharing with your friends, and then also supporting the work that we do at survivingbreastcancer.org and on our podcast, Breast Cancer Conversations. So let's jump right into it. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Tabby. Tabby joins us from the UK, where she was diagnosed with breast cancer at the young age of 26. Tabby shares with us her experience going through chemotherapy, being triple positive. That's ER, PR, and HER2 positive. She also shares with us the ways in which she navigated conversations with her colleagues, coworkers, and boss, and the importance of having a strong support system at home. I am so thrilled to have Tabby on the podcast today and for her to share her personal experience and inspire all of you listening. Since I've been diagnosed, like finding so many other women that have been diagnosed at a young age, it's quite shocking, really. Welcome to the conversation. Well, I was diagnosed um, in November 2020, um, and I was only 26 at the time. So it definitely came as a massive surprise. Like, it, you know, like when I found the lump, I was worried and I was thinking, like, that's unusual, that's not right for me. Um, but I don't think cancer like crossed my mind. I don't think I thought for a second, like, this is going to be something really sinister um, until it was. And obviously, like, everyone was just so shocked because, yeah, there was just no evidence of it, like, being that. And there was no family history, anything like that. Um, and yeah, it's been a bit of a whirlwind <laughs> over the past few months. So I literally finished my chemo like a week and a half ago. Oh, congratulations. Um, so next, yeah, thank you. Um, next steps for me now then is I've got my surgery probably at the end of the month or like early June. Um, and then after that, it will just be a case of like maintenance therapy. Like I'm doing like hormone therapy, anti-HER2 because I'm triple positive. So mm-hmm. all of the things that could be like going on with it is is what it is yes um so yeah and before diagnosis um I had quite a simple life really it was it was chilled I was just working I still have the same job I've been working throughout treatment which has been really good um but I work in marketing for a like tech agency in Manchester um and I was living in actual city center of Manchester at the time of diagnosis um and then obviously once I got diagnosed I was like 
I need to be with my family um, and I move back to be with them. So yeah, I've been living with them since, which has been really, really great to be honest. Absolutely. I think just, you know, building up your support team and, you know, having someone to help and support you through treatment and you were able to still work remotely then um, all through treatment and everything. Yeah, like I didn't work for about two months like after being diagnosed, which obviously they were more than understanding of. Um, But then I basically just thought, well, I feel good probably like 80, 90% of the time, to be honest. And I was like, I'd rather be doing something normal and like taking my mind off it, not just consuming my life around cancer all the time, which is what I felt like I was doing. Um, So yeah, like they've been really understanding and flexible with it. Like they've said, you know, just work when you feel that you can um but yeah it's been a great distraction to be honest so yeah that's awesome I think it's such an important theme also right I feel like we get a lot of questions Mm. just got diagnosed I have to go through this like major treatment everyone responds to the chemotherapy a little bit differently and it is kind of a hard conversation to have like should I continue working what does this mean for my employment um, you know, even job security and, you know, do you mm. tell your colleagues, um, you know, yeah. about your diagnosis and not? Mm. It's a very personal choice. So Definitely. how did you navigate some of those conversations? Um, well, to be fair, my manager was kind of aware of what was going on at the time because obviously I'd had a, quite a few doctor's appointments that had like coincided with work. Um, so he kind of knew what was going on um, in terms of like knew that I was getting biopsies and things like that. But again, he probably didn't think it was going to be anything either. He probably just thought it was, you know, just getting checked. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when we actually had that conversation, he was obviously like completely shocked and taken aback by it because it's, it's unusual right. for them. Like everyone in the agency is quite young. So I think they didn't really know sort of how to deal with it as well. Like it's just such an unusual almost still quite taboo conversation. I think yes. people just immediately think like cancer, like, oh, that means like really, really bad. Yes. And I think, um, yeah, I don't know. It was it was weird and it was uncomfortable, but I think once it was sort of out there, mm-hmm. I felt good. And like now I'm just like, I'm so open about it. So if any of like my colleagues have like asked questions, like, I'm more than happy to talk about it. So yeah. yeah, I was the same way too. I told everybody I was yeah. very open about it on social media. Um, one, because yeah. I thought that was a great way to get support as well. Like it was a coping mechanism for me to just like rip the bandaid mm. off. Like if I'm going to lose my hair, lose my eyebrows, like go through all of this, have some days mm. where I'm fatigued and sick. Like I would rather yeah. just be open about it and it made conversations a little bit easier. Yeah, exactly. It's the same for me. Definitely. So I would love to know what type of chemotherapy were you on? Do you remember the names of the drugs? Yes. Um, I did three lots of EC, uh, which I think is the one that they call the red devil. And yes. I was like, great that's a really really positive name so I'm looking forward to that um did not enjoy that at all it was really really unpleasant and then I had four lots of the docetaxel um and then that was combined with Herceptin and Pajata which are obviously the anti-HER2 drugs Mm -hmm. um and actually I thought that one was going to be easier and a few people I'd spoken to were like oh yeah like it's a breeze compared to EC and it definitely wasn't it was so much harder <laughs> really it was just so intense oh. and horrible but um yeah and what made it so intense like, I know everyone has different um side effects what were yeah, some of your side well, effects yeah for me I think it was just just the fatigue really it just completely took took over and like even now like it's been like a week and a half and I can still feel like I'm not 100% um 
it was less of the sort of sickness which I got with EC that was very like just feeling nauseous all the time and just really unwell um with the docetaxel it was just more just exhaustion like I would have a few days that was so intense where I literally would get out of bed make it to the sofa and then that was it I was like right okay this is where I am all day then and like I just wouldn't move all day I couldn't walk I'd get out of breath so easily um it was just horrible like just yeah just being tired all the time and also I think the docetaxel is when I started to really look unwell so that's when like I'd already lost my hair but then I started losing like eyebrows eyelashes my skin just went so dry and like spotty and oh yeah yeah, I think at that point I was like right I really look like a cancer patient now and I don't think I necessarily did before so yeah right yeah I remember that too and I was on very similar treatment plan, similar to you. I right. also did the chemotherapy um, prior to my surgery as well, which we can talk mm-hmm. a little bit about. Um, but I remember, and I'm not sure if this is the same for you, so I very similarly also went through treatment um, during the winter months. So I was a little grateful right. to always be able to like wear a hat and cover up yeah. and all of yeah. that. And I remember the fatigue, just trying to get dressed to take a walk outside. It was like putting on the layers, zipping up this heavy coat, the scarf, the hat. Mm. And I literally would make it to the end of the block. And I'm like, I'm good. Let's turn around. Like <laughs> yeah, literally like two minutes good. later. And I'm like, God, that was that was a lot. That was a lot right there. Yeah, literally. I'm the same. Like even walking up the stairs, like go in the shower. I was like, I'm exhausted. To yes. Lie yes. And actually, <laughs> it's so good. funny. I um, wear my like Garmin watch and stuff to kind of like track mm. heart rate and steps and trying to just mm-hmm. set all of these goals. And I remember like I used to be in shape and now I'm like, why am I huffing and puffing doing like minimal like, you know, lifting yeah. the, the coffee pot for the morning coffee or something yeah. it was like, God, that was a workout for the like biceps. So yeah, so and I think also you bring up a really great point too, even though you finished your last chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important to remind ourselves that our body just went through months of treatment yeah. and you're still going through, you know, that week, two weeks, three weeks after your last treatment and mm-hmm. still feeling everything going through your body and that it doesn't just like okay last treatment I feel better and everything just pops back to normal exactly yeah I think that's so important because I think a lot of people think like oh yeah you finished like great now you can just like move on it's like nope (laughs) that is not how it works (laughs) yeah I remember going on like a really big um like smoothie kick and juicing I was like okay we put all Mm. these like toxins in my body to kill the cancer and then I just wanted to like flush everything out like the celeries and the grapefruits and the um the pineapple and all the great citrus fruits so yeah well, so, it's better than I'm doing. I've not been healthy at all. I'm still very much in the like, I'll just eat pasta and bread for like every meal. Yeah. Oh, no. I definitely had that too. Don't get me wrong. I still do. And it's been years. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think it's also like a blessing in disguise, also being able to go through the chemotherapy first before surgery, mm-hmm. because that really allows us a lot of time to one, come to terms with our diagnosis, but mm-hmm. also research and have conversations about the type of surgery we are able to have you know sometimes we have a choice sometimes we don't have a choice can you tell us a little bit about these next steps coming up for you yeah so I I didn't get a choice with my surgery um we thought we would initially because when we first found my tumor it was I think they said it was around the two it's 2.1 centimeters I think so it's not massive um 
so I think originally it was like the potential was there to have a lumpectomy um but after more tests we found out that I've got DCIS Mm. So I've got other sort of microcalcifications that are like precancerous cells. Um, and there's about seven centimetres of that. So it's essentially like my whole breast. Um, so, yeah, mastectomy was like, that has to be what it is. Um, which, to be fair, I'm, I think I'm quite comfortable with that. I think that's probably what I'd prefer to have anyway. Um, I'm just getting the one for now. Um but there is the potential to go and do both in future and I'm getting a reconstruction as well. When they diagnose you, I know you talked a little bit about the biopsies. Do they also do yeah. like full body scans or any other types of like MRIs? Yeah, I had an MRI, I think about a week after I was diagnosed or maybe even less than that. It might have literally been days later. Um, and then I had a CT as well. Okay. And I think that was it. I think I don't think I had, I had more like ultrasounds and mammograms and that kind of thing. Yeah. But I think the CT was sort of the main one to just check that it hadn't spread anywhere else. Basically. Exactly. I know. I remember going through all of those tests and scans as well. And I was so naive. I didn't really know mm. what. I mean, obviously, we weren't. We didn't go through this yeah. before, right? Like, we didn't know yeah. what the protocols were. I'm like, okay, yeah, exactly like right. you get your mammogram and you just go on and do all these other tests. Like, it's a thing. Yeah, um, I know. I had no idea. And then it's like those first few weeks of like being diagnosed are just so hectic, isn't it? Like you've got appointment after appointment after appointment, and it's just like, oh my god. I know. I don't know how I got through it. Looking back now, I'm like. God, it was mental. Yeah. And you were saying too, like you had to do a lot of the appointments by yourself because of COVID? Yeah, pretty much all of them. Um, I think my mum was allowed to come with me to sort of my first meeting with my surgeon. Um, so that was probably a couple of weeks after being diagnosed, but everything else, even being diagnosed, I was told by myself. So yeah, Gosh, that wasn't so easy. Hard. I know I feel like now I'm constantly like on FaceTime or trying to do like WhatsApp or chatting with people who are like sitting in the infusion chair or I tell yeah. talk to a lot of people too. If you have the option to, you know, either record your meetings or have someone on speaker mm. to at least listen into some of the conversations because it can be so overwhelming. Yeah, definitely. And to be fair, that's been quite um, a positive of it. A lot of my appointments have also just been over the phone. And I think that's been quite useful, like in the beginning, because my parents could be in the room with me and we just yeah. have it on speakerphone. Oh, that's great. So, uh, yeah, that was good. Yeah. So the, obviously the... a lot of it doesn't go in, does it? Like when you're sort of in shock, you're like, oh, my God, I don't even remember what like they've said or like, yeah, yeah it's a lot to take in. Like I lost you after the word cancer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh... And my brain is just whoop. <laughs> Yeah. And so how did you decide then you are opting for reconstruction on that one side to start? Yeah. What type of reconstruction are you getting? Um, implant. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was kind of, I don't really know how I came to that decision. I didn't really have that many choices. I wasn't allowed to do the, um, I can't remember the names of them now, but there's the one way they take fat from your back, is it? Um, she said she wouldn't do that. Um, but there was the option to do the other one but I think I just thought in the end I didn't want as much scarring and even though an implant's going to probably be quite annoying because it's quite there's a lot of maintenance isn't there like I'm going to have to have more surgeries in future it's not like it's just the one and then that's it um but I think overall when I sort of weighed up the pros and cons I thought that's probably my best option mm -hmm. yeah for me the same it was Did like one day it was I'm going flat I don't want any more surgeries then the next day like mm. well should I consider implants and all of this mm. I 
um, ended up being fortunate enough to opt for a lumpectomy. So that was something that I was able to do. And then because of that, I got radiation as well. Right. Um, Yeah. But, you know, it's such a personal choice for some and then to decide how much surgery you want. And I think you're really smart to be cognizant that it's more than one surgery. I think that's something that we don't always tell people um, or that they don't know. Or again, because it's so Mm -hmm. overwhelming when you're talking to the surgeon, you might not hear that it's multiple surgeries. And so I think that really plays a role in like what we want to put our bodies through. So yeah, exactly. And you're so right. Like it is such a personal choice. Like everyone's different. And I think no one can tell you what to do. I think you've just got to do what feels right for you and whatever that is. Exactly. Just go with that. Did you have a choice on the type of implants? Um, like shape or texture or anything I don't, like that? Yeah, I don't know. Okay. I'm actually meeting my surgeon. I'm going in to see her on Wednesday coming. Um, so I think at that point, because I just had an MRI last week, so that was just to check like how the chemo sort of got along, like if it hopefully did its job. Yes. Um, and yeah, I think based on that conversation, um we'll be discussing that in more detail but she's not yeah it's not been mentioned up till now so I'm not actually sure but yeah I guess I'll find out on Wednesday which is quite nerve-wracking but exciting at the same time like I think I'm just sort of like let's just do this I'm ready now I know that's awesome you'll have to let us know how that conversation goes and what you decide because you know I because I didn't have implants I don't know how Mm -hmm. those conversations go but I remember being Mm -hmm. at conferences and you have like these exhibit booths and people are like they literally have these like silicone like implants there for you to touch yeah. and feel. And, you know, do you want the teardrop version or do you want this yeah. version? And I'm like, I don't even know how you would make those decisions. So crazy. <laughs> I'm always curious to see how people navigate and make these choices mm. for themselves. So, yeah, now I'm looking, well, I say looking forward to it. Yeah. Maybe a bit of a stretch, but yeah, yeah. we'll see. I always frame the surgery as a date to like to me it was like a exciting moment because it was the day they were literally going in to remove the cancer to like to remove the tumor and I just remember like waking up from the surgery one I was happy that I woke up because I was a little nervous being under all that anesthesia Um, (laughs) and I'm sure I was on a lot of like morphine and pain meds but I woke up I was happy I was like you know (laughs) exactly I was like I did it like they got it out at least I hope and like (laughs) you know all that good stuff um because there is that chance too, like, you know, they have to make sure that they have the clear margins and yeah, that they don't have to go in. So, but I think for like the initial piece, I was like, okay, I'm good. Um, I, I remember like trying to move my arm because you read some of these scary stories too of like after surgery, the limitations of not necessarily being able to raise your hand above your head yeah. or how sore you might be with all of the um, compression garments and everything. But, yeah, you know, I think for me at least, and it sounds like you're the same when you're like just kind of Googling everything, trying to find out as much as you can. Reading all of the horror stories actually made me realize like how great shape I was in when I woke up. I was like, this isn't so bad. Like, I think I scared myself so much that the (laughs) alternative was like, oh, okay, I got this. I can handle this. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's good then. I think, yeah, the reading the horror stories is like, oh my God, like what is going to happen? I think everyone that I've spoken to that's had the surgeries, like, recently like they all say it's it's really not that bad like you'll be fine so yeah I am nervous but I'm also like like you said like I'm just so ready to just get it out mm-hmm. because it's at that point where I can hopefully say like it's gone like let's just treat exactly. it treat the rest of it and like yeah we can it's just like on. another part of the process check it off the list and exactly. all of that yeah 
And so how was the conversations then? Again, you mentioned there was no family history, year 26. Mm-hmm. How did you have these conversations with your parents? How are they managing seeing their daughter go through all of this? I think they find it a lot harder than I do, to be honest. Um, yeah, it, it wasn't easy. I think I asked them more recently, like, did they think it was going to be cancer as well? And they were both just like, no, like not at all. Because basically what happened was the day before I got diagnosed, um, I actually called up the doctors and was like, look, can you just tell me the results over the phone? Like, I'm so anxious. I just want to know. Um, and obviously in my head at that point, I was like, it's obviously nothing bad. Like, just tell me now and then I can get on with my life. Um, and the lady was like, no, he wants you to come in and get your results. And I think at that point I was like, mm, okay, that's not good. Um, so obviously I called my parents then and said like, they want me to go in tomorrow. And even then, like my mum and dad both said like, no, they didn't think it was going to be, they just thought, oh, maybe he just didn't have the results on him at that time. Like he wants you to go in for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, so they really, I don't think we're expecting it at all. And they've definitely, I mean, my dad's really chilled out anyway. So I think he deals with it very practically. Um, and it's just kind of like, right, okay, like this is what's happening. Let's just, you know, get through it. Um, whilst my mum's definitely more emotional about it and, I mean, she, she's they're dealing with it really well. And I think because they've seen me dealing with it quite well, I think that's helped them. Um, but yeah, in the beginning, it, it wasn't easy at all. It was really, really horrible, really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just because I think when you're not the one in that situation, you feel quite helpless, don't you? Exactly. Whilst I think for me, it was kind of like, well, I know I can get through it. I know I can do this. But for them, it was kind of like, what can we do to help nothing right <laughs> so, exactly. yeah it's not easy yeah do you have any siblings I do yeah I've got a younger brother and a younger sister so yeah they they've come to terms with it now as well but again like in the beginning I think they were just completely shocked by it and just didn't really know how to deal with it but I think they're managing pretty well which yeah yeah, like since I've been diagnosed, like finding so many other women that have been diagnosed at a young age, it's quite shocking, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and even my nurse, my um, breast nurse, I called her the other day and we were just having a general chat. And she said that quite recently, like in the past few weeks, they've seemed to have diagnosed quite a lot of women in their 20s in our wow. hospital. And it's like, that's just insane. Yeah. And you just, I'm, I don't know about you, but I just didn't think it could happen until it did. Exactly. And now that I'm like in it, I'm like, wow, like it's really quite common. And it's, it's scary people need to be aware of their bodies and just you know mm-hmm. get themselves checked if there is anything unusual because you just never know like hopefully it's nothing but it might be exactly. and, you want, and if it is you want to catch it as soon as you can so. exactly which it sounds like exactly what you did like literally one day mm-hmm. you woke up and you're like this lump wasn't here and mm-hmm. now we need to figure out why it's here can you tell us a little bit about like that discovery yeah it was really weird like I, to be honest I wasn't really checking myself that regularly um and I don't know if it was kind of like maybe subconsciously because it was in October so it was breast cancer awareness month so I'd probably mm, seen mm-hmm. some stuff on like Instagram um so I don't know if maybe there was like something yeah subconsciously in my head being like check yourself but um I just woke up one morning and I had this strange like pain um in my boob and I like, went to feel it and straight away felt the lump it was quite prominent um and I just knew, I was like, that's, yeah, it's not normal. It's, I don't know how long it had been there, but I just knew it wasn't normally there. Um, 
and yeah for me it was just an absolute no-brainer I was like I need to call the doctor yes. straight away like it was a mm-hmm. Sunday so I couldn't get hold of them but um the next day I was straight away and then yeah. I just knew like this needs to be dealt with like immediately um and thank thank god I did because yeah like you just never know like if I'd have left it even mine was a grade three so you know like the fastest growing that mm-hmm. it can be and it's like triple positive is quite aggressive as well so I think you know like yeah this doesn't even it's not even worth thinking about it's scary really yeah but yeah I think it's just so important for that message to be out there because yeah yeah to be aware of your body to you you know do the self-breast exams and I was even talking to another woman also about like a lot of times we use those like loofahs in the shower to like wash and sometimes it's just like you know just put soap on your hands and use your hands because you'll really feel your body and know if something feels right or not right and and go from there yeah and just get used to like what yeah what your body feels like and knowing just the ins and outs of it I think I've, I've never been so aware now of of my body and I, I don't think I was that aware of it before whilst now like anything that's like different or unusual I'm like oh my god what is that yes so yeah I think, <laughs> I, think I had like that, an I think ing- that's a good thing I had like an ingrown hair not too long ago and I was like oh my god yeah. what is this this is a lump this is like a problem <laughs> You're like no no it's just an ingrown hair like it's fine this this is normal this happens <laughs> yeah, this is but you get so hyper like sensitive over everything mm. so you're mentioning being triple positive and then potentially going also on some hormonal therapies has the conversation yeah. about fertility come up in any of your conversations with your doctors yeah it was one of the first things that we spoke about really I think because obviously my age it was something that they were really keen to like talk about straight away um but because obviously chemo was the first step they didn't really want to delay that too much um so I think I spoke to someone on the phone and then I actually went in for a fertility appointment um and obviously they discussed like IVF not IVF like freezing your eggs basically Mm -hmm. um and in the end I decided against it I think you know it goes back to it just being such a personal choice because I know there's lots of women that don't do that um but for me I think based on the type of cancer that I had I was worried about and this is literally just like my own thoughts there's no evidence that this would have happened but I think I was just really concerned about the hormones of that making it worse or like making it grow quicker and I just thought I don't want to delay my treatment um I don't want to yeah make anything worse than it already is so I think I just decided it's not for me um and I mean you know like there's there are options in the future if like that's something that I decide to do um so yeah like it's not it's just such a it's such a hard decision and it's not yeah. a decision I thought I would be making at 26 years old but yeah it was more I think the frustration that cancer could potentially take that away from me like that choice mm-hmm. um yeah but it's just it's just another one of those things isn't it that people don't really think about and then when cancer hits it's just a part of it you've got to have those conversations and you've got to make those decisions quite quickly really I've I'm really lucky I've got a really good support system around me so obviously being at home being with my family like they've just been amazing like they've just looked after me and they're still like doing everything for me like I feel like I've sort of I'm in a hotel and like I've gone back to like my teenage years or something it's quite it's nice it's crazy um and then I've got my boyfriend as well and like really good friends who've just been so supportive. And obviously it's been hard not being able to really see anyone. Um, but yeah, they just, they're just always just there for me. And I think if I didn't have that support system in place, I'd really struggle. Um, 
but on top of that I'd say just trying to do like normal things like as much as it's hard when we're still in lockdown in the UK like we're starting to come out of it now but um we can't really go anywhere so I think as much as like you can be normal I think that's the best thing you can do so obviously for me like working um trying to do exercise when I can which at the moment not really ever (laughs) but like in the beginning I was doing quite well um and yeah just just trying to not think about cancer too much like obviously it takes up so much of your time it's like having I say to people it's like having a full-time job it's like an extra job because you're just always doing things to do with it but I think you've got to just not let it completely take over your life like it is a big part of my life but it's only like I like to say it's a chapter of my story but it's not my whole story and it's not gonna I don't want to let it consume me so I think yeah just you know like having those days where you do you research and you have like your moment of to be upset about it but I try just to not let myself think about it too much if you're thinking about someone in your shoes what I'm putting you on the spot here. What are the resources <laughs> that you think someone in like the 20s just diagnosed with mm. breast cancer would need that maybe aren't necessarily Gosh. there yet? Um, that's a really good question. Um, it's difficult because I think for me, I guess that there wasn't really anything. I think I found like obviously there were some charities in the UK that have some information on the website have like leaflets and stuff but in general it's breast cancer isn't really that doesn't really make sense I was gonna say breast cancer isn't really catered to young women it's not no it's not no you're right though do you know Mm -hmm. yeah do you know what I mean like so for example here um you can get a voucher for the NHS um for a wig and when I was looking at all of these like wigs that you can get with your voucher they're all for like old women like there was nothing that was like suitable for me at all because like I'm normally blonde to about like mid sort of shoulder length hair and I was like I don't want these little bobs and like just (laughs) old women hair (laughs) like no offense to them like they're nice wigs but I was like they're gonna look ridiculous on a 26 year old um who doesn't normally have hair like that so I think stuff like that and like even finding like turbans and stuff like there just there wasn't a lot Mm -hmm. of information out there and it's only really that since I've sort of found a bit of a community on like Instagram um that that's been sort of where I've got a lot of my help from um and there's like Facebook groups and forums as well that I think are quite useful because you'll get quite a lot of younger women on there um but yeah in terms of like actual yeah like proper resources and like Mm -hmm. the charities and stuff like yeah they definitely don't seem to cater for younger women and I get why, because I'm, you know, it is more common in older women, but I do feel like there needs yeah. to be more of it and probably more support as well. Yeah, I know. I feel like we're all like in this umbrella of breast cancer and then, mm. you know, really trying to find and connect someone who is in that stage of life with you, mm. right? Like just starting off yeah. a career or someone who, you know, has a young family and they're just starting off, right? And so, you know, I think there's, there's a lot to be said to find some like that match and that community of people who can really relate to what you're going through in that mm. phase of life as well. I'm so glad we got to connect. If our listeners want to follow you on Instagram, how can they find you? It's just my name. So it's Tabby Duff, T-A-B-B-Y-D-U-F-F. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok. Awesome. 
Very nice. Well, I'll be sure to check you out. And thank you. thank you so much for sharing your story. It's been, I've been smiling no over here for the last half hour. So I hope our listeners <laughs> are too. <laughs> Good. Thank you for having yes, me. It's been yes. lovely to talk. Awesome. Thank you all for joining and tuning in each week to Breast Cancer Conversations. As a reminder, this content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always ask the advice of your physician or other qualified health professionals with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Be sure to check us out at survivingbreastcancer.org where you can find out more about upcoming happenings and events and webinars, as well as follow us on social media. Instagram handle is survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, and also on Twitter, which is SBC underscore ORG. Let's continue the conversation online. Keep on thriving, and we'll talk to you again next week.